the Biohacking Beauty Podcast. I am very excited to have you on listening to another episode of ours. My guest today is a personal favorite of ours here at Young Goose, and mine specifically, someone we, we've been uh, really looking forward to having on the podcast. Her name is Angela Foster. She is a very recognized and important figure in the biohacking community. She's a nutritionist, a health performance and, and performance coach, and also she's a host of an amazing podcast, really top-rated, called High Performance Health. She's a very interesting person. She, she was a partner in a law firm in the UK for quite a while, and that type of lifestyle, that demanding lifestyle, long hours, high pressure, really took the toll on her. And after a serious illness in, in 2014, she really dove into that integrative health uh, route and through integrative health and biohacking has rebuilt herself both phys- physically and, uh, and mentally. And now she's helping other people to do exactly that through coaching. She has an online membership that's called the Female Biohacker Collective. And I am very aligned with her mission, which is to educate and inspire women to become the CEO of their health and optimize their mind, body, and spirit by embracing their femininity. So really, she embodies what biohacking beauty is for us here at Young Goose, and we're very excited to have her on. Just to give you an understanding of what we're going to be talking about here in this podcast, uh, we're going to be diving deep into high-performing women and their health, how we uh, maintain high performance, how we sync it with the female ebb and flow as far as hormones go, as far as adjusting to that high performance environment. And we're also looking at how to take care of our health from a more basic standpoint. We are going to concentrate on nutrition, on cycle syncing, on sleep, and basically look at her uh, system called SHIFT, which I'm very excited to be speaking about. Before we kind of start the podcast, it would mean the world to us here at Young Goose and the Biohacking Beauty Podcast if you subscribe, if you shared it with anyone who think, who you think would uh, enjoy this podcast. It obviously promotes our podcast and, and uh, improves the algorithm, but also we believe that we give a value that everyone should enjoy. Last thing before we start, I'm reminding you that this podcast is brought to you by Young Goose, the biohacking skincare company, and we are going to basically change the way your skin function and reset it to a more youthful state. But in order to do that, we really need to take care of the most fundamental way our body functions, and that's why this podcast exists. So without further ado, please welcome Angela Foster. All right, Angela, welcome to the Biohacking Beauty Podcast. We are very excited to have you on. Obviously, you're a very good friend of Young Goose and of us specifically. And, you know, this has been a long time coming. We've been talking about having a podcast together for for a long time. So I'm very happy we've had the chance to make it happen. You're coming to us hot after uh, speaking at the uh, Biohackers Summit, is it called, in, uh, in London, right? Yeah, yeah, the Health Optimization Summit. Yes, exactly. And uh, I just spoke actually at Elevate as well, the, the mm-hmm. fitness conference on women's health, which I think we're going to talk about today. So I'm really excited to be here, Amate. Thank you so much for inviting me. You know that I'm a huge fan of, uh, of Young Goose and I use those products every day. So uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. And, and, and when we recorded together on my podcast, it was super popular. My, my audience loved hearing from 
Yeah, and I think we're a good combination, right? Because really what you are interested in, and I think it's a um, an, almost not an unexplored niche, but you could we could definitely agree that the biohacking community is um, leaning towards more the uh, male you know, population or is it, it's uh, something that it definitely has sometimes like a male vibe to it. And I think that what you're doing and, and people such as yourself, you know, really looking at biohacking as far as women's health optimization and, and kind of making sure that that side of things, the side of obviously biohacking serves everything, right? The, the philosophy of biohacking is how do we improve bodily functions through technology, through habits, whatever that is. So we can do whatever we want there. Anyone could uh, achieve better performance through biohacking. So I think what you're doing is extremely important and extremely sought after. But what were the, uh, you know, what were this, the subjects that you covered in the, uh, w- when you gave your couple of talks recently? So I was looking at really about how to optimize around the menstrual cycle, because I think it's so important for women. And I think that maybe if I share a little bit of my background with your audience, it might be helpful to set the frame because I myself have really struggled over the years with many hormonal issues and and burnout and depression and anxiety. And, And I turned to biohacking really to really understand my own biology and help to solve my own health problems initially. And like you, as you were just saying there, I found it to be a very male-centric environment. And a lot of what I was reading, and I think is still a lot of what's out there now, in terms of quite extreme dietary protocols, intermittent fasting that's that's elongated for long periods of time, also just the kind of grit uh, and things. I'm sure, you know, being a type A personality, I, I completely believe in that. And, you know, that helps me, you know, in many respects. But I think having that all the time, the female body actually doesn't respond that well. And that was definitely the environment that I was in when I was practicing as a corporate lawyer in London. It was, you know, I think as women, we're conditioned to accept hormonal issues and just to put up with them because from a very young age we're taught oh yeah that's pms those are menstrual cramps oh you've got heavy periods well it'll just sort itself out and it doesn't always resolve itself and i think too often like me women are prescribed very very young things like birth control to solve problems and you know i was given that at the age of 15 there was no investigation done to find out why i was having these issues and it wasn't until my mid to late 20s that I discovered I had PCOS and endometriosis and PCOS being quite serious, you know, it's, it's a metabolic disease really at heart and it causes things like insulin resistance, you know, I had a prescription, separate prescription for metformin at that time and I had extensive surgery and I think this was all and working very, very long hours as a lawyer, setting the stage for what was going to come for me and when I fell pregnant, I was going for partnership at the time. And I actually made partnership in a very large law firm at eight months pregnant. And no one really cared that, you know, now this was again, a new environment, there were repeated incidences where I was bleeding, it looked like I was going to lose my son. And it was still like work really long hours, you know, I would had a continuous heart rate monitor on at home, but there was still this attitude of behaving like a man to get ahead and it didn't matter and you just had to show up the same. And what I found is that there is a more intelligent way. I think that I want to teach women that if we can embrace our femininity and work with this natural rhythm, which actually is a gift that we have, that ability to create a tiny human, we can be so much better for it. And it's become even more profound for me since I have a daughter. You know, I have two boys, they're in their teenage years. And I have a daughter and she's 10 years old. And at the moment, the, the playing field is level, right? So she's really, um, 
a strong athlete and she trains a lot, she swims a lot, she does plays a lot of netball and different sports and hockey. But as she moves through her teenage years, that landscape is going to change a little bit and she's not going to be able to deliver the same output day in and day out. And I think, again, work, sporting life, everything's been conditioned around this 24-hour schedule, which works super well for men. You know, they wake up in the morning, testosterone is high, motivation's high, and then it sort of wanes towards the end of the day. As women, we have this second and Freudian rhythm. And so from multiple angles, really, I just think it's time that we... Women are so valuable in the workplace. They have so much to offer. And I think they should be able to have it all that we begin now to really embrace that and support women. Because actually, by working with this infradian rhythm, we can see enhanced productivity, better metabolic health, better creativity and outcomes really for everyone involved. Agreed. And I think, you know, we kind of inherited uh, you, me, and everyone that's living in the uh, Western society nowadays kind of inherited whatever paradigms were, you know, kind of imposed upon us from from earlier generations, which obviously then it was really male dominated, uh, whether it's the workforce or just how the world saw things, who it wanted to please, etc. And I think it's a, an amazing opportunity really to take a step back, not only looking at the workplace or whatever output we need to provide and looking at it, okay, how do we incorporate women or the f- feminine side of things into whatever the paradigm is right now? I think the paradigm can change as far as what output means, what hours means. Obviously, everything that happened during the pandemic and the way that the workplace really changed or the idea of um, working hours really changed where we see movements like row, like results-oriented uh, work environment or decentralized work where a person is really measured, not necessarily how long they're sitting in front, of the, in front of the computer or in their cubicle, but really is measured by the value that they provide at the end of the day. It is a double entendre, right? It, it's uh, also at the end of the day physically, but also the just sum of contribution that they provide. And I think this is really connecting to the more feminine side of uh, the equation where we, you know, as speaking as a, as a male, it never occurred to me that there is another rhythm of things. When I was growing up, when I was getting basically indoctrinated into the workforce, it never occurred to me that there isn't only like that push, push, push and trying to bur- basically burn yourself out. And when you're burnt out, that's kind of your gauge to work done well, right? Woman, the, the way that the non-circadian rhythm, the lunar uh, rhythm works as far as women, where you, you ebb and flow in your productivity, in, in your, whether it is your, you know, output, whatever that is, really brings, I think, more flexibility that we can implement men and women both can imp- implement and maybe create a better work environment or work paradigm. And within that, you're coming out and saying, hey, ladies, there is a way to excel within that framework, right? You're really the coach that, and you're, you have a beautiful community around you that looks at, you know, excelling, whether it's excelling in life, in the workforce, as a woman, and looking how to improve that through technology, through habits. So how did you get from like biohacking your personal journey to contributing to others and creating an, an incredible and inspiring community around you? Yeah, thank you. That's, um, that's a great question. I think so. 
when I, I'd had all these, this just to sort of finish off on, on how I came to it, I'd had all these hormonal issues, which I think set the stage for burnout. And then when I had pregnancies because of these hormonal issues, I was encouraged actually to have my children very close together because I'd had surgery for things like endometriosis and PCOS. And so to prevent that regrowth, the, the advice was, you know, have your children close together, which I did. And I had three kids in four and a half years, but that was three C-sections, three babies with reflux. It was really quite a tough few years. And I suffered terribly, unexpectedly, really, because I'm such an upbeat kind of positive person with postnatal depression. And it's very interesting when we look at the data and the history of birth control use and how that affects the brain and actually in growing teenagers and changes the way the brain is and predisposes you to depression later in life. PCOS predisposes you to depression later in life. And so I didn't realize any of these things, but I was in this really difficult situation where I was so depressed, I adored my children, but I couldn't find a way out. And I was under um, the care of a psychiatrist and multiple therapists who were really trying to treat me with a combination of therapy and medication. And I just couldn't get away from myself. And I really, really struggled. And then my, but I didn't, I didn't want to leave my family. I was like faced with this whole thing of I just want to turn these thoughts off in my head. So the thoughts of suicide were coming thick and strong. But then how was I going to leave my kids as the, you know, the mum, the kids of the mum who took her own life? My husband is the, the widow of the woman that took her own life. And I was just in such a painful place. And then I got pneumonia. Originally, they thought I had lung cancer, but I had double pneumonia on both lungs, wow. viral and bacterial, and I was hospitalized. And it was quite interesting because where can you go when you're in hospital, right? You can't run away from yourself. Wherever you go, there you are, as John Kabat-Zinn says. And that was, I think, because of the very high fevers I had, it gave way to a lucidity that Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about that allowed me to access a more peaceful state of being. And I'm eternally grateful for that moment because it was at that moment that I decided, what is going on? Here I am. You know, I was neutropenic faced with the very real possibility that this pneumonia was going to take my life. And I then thought, I can't let my kids grow up without a mum. So I then, there was a profound shift in me. And actually, interestingly, my, my blood, and this won't come as a surprise to you, but within 48 hours of me making that decision, my white blood cell count started to come back up and things started to shift. And so then I made this commitment, right, I'm going to, when I come out of hospital, I'm going to get really, really well. And that was about mind, body, spirit optimization. So I understood that, you know, I needed, I, I, I went to see a functional medicine doctor to get my health back on track. I started enrolling in courses myself to take uh, programs. I'd done a lot of CBT, but I wasn't really getting anywhere. So I started to read more spiritual book, like, books like Dr. Joe's work um, and other books. And they started to help me realize that you can create epigenetic changes in real time. And then I dived more and more into it, completely requalified, decided to, you know, turn my back on the legal profession really forever. It wasn't, it wasn't in alignment anymore and fulfilling me. And then I started to work, you know, once I'd requalified to work with clients. And then it grew and grew. And I realized how many women were struggling in this respect. And it just started, I, I launched my podcast and it just has become a mission really. I just, it's the thing that gets me out of bed every day is how can I make a difference? How can I just share that message and make a difference to women's lives so that they truly can have it all? They can have, you know, whether it is, as you say, fulfilling their role as a mother, which is a fantastic and probably the hardest job in the world, but the most rewarding job in the world, whether it's that they are a corporate executive or in a leadership role or entrepreneurs, I work with a lot of individuals like that, or whether it's both, they just want to do both, or they're, you know, even people that... I love working with people who have embraced the spiritual side in their jobs, you know, and their coaches or yoga instructors, because we each have a unique gift 
that we want to bring into the world and a unique way of helping people. And for me, coaching people is helping them draw that out and align with their inner purpose and then embrace their femininity. And that's when I see it all come together and the magic really happens. And that's then, so it just kind of grew, I guess, is the answer to your question over time. And it's just got bigger and bigger. And the more people I've interacted with, the more I love and to hear their stories and their personal transformations it's just incredible and it's such an honor and I'm just so grateful to really be a part of this and help women as much as I can. Very interesting. And when along that journey, when were you exposed to the idea of maybe more masculine way of working with your body and providing output and the more feminine one? Because for me, it's quite new, to be honest with you, uh, maybe a couple of years old mm-hmm. where, you know, books about, you know, biohacking your your menstrual cycle into the flow, whatever that is, came out and really educated me and, and people around my community as far as those two different segments of, of the population working differently, if you would. When was that, you know, apparent to you, even on, on a uh, intuitive level, but when did you get educated into it? Is it something that right now, someone that's taking one of the courses that you took, are they talking about it? Is it something that you had to find out on your own? Well, I I suppose it was two-pronged here, because you're right, it has only really come to the fore quite recently. And Elisa uh, Vitti and Stacey Sims, you know, whose work I I love, they've both been on the podcast, have really, really taken that forward. And I think that I'm really grateful for them for forging that path for women, and I found their work. Initially, it was that I, what kept happening was I, because I was such a kind of typical type, you know, type A personality who would push, and with the it's funny because as a woman who has PCOS, right, I have higher androgens naturally. So I definitely have more of that push, that grit, and will work, you know, harder and longer than many people quite often. But what I kept seeing show up in my life was this consistent pattern of I could push really, really hard for a period of time, and then I'd be exhausted, and then push and be exhausted. And I know that happens to men as well. But as as a woman, it would show up, it would affect my hormones, it would affect my blood sugar, more recently we contract that, it would affect my mood. And I was starting to realize that there had to be a more intelligent way. And what's really interesting is one of the first people that I connected with and followed when I got into biohacking, it was Ben Greenfield. And at that point when in his journey, you couldn't have found a more masculine biohacker, right? It was yeah. he was like leading the charge with triathlons in, but he was all about minimum effective dose. Like, how can we do this intelligently? And I enrolled in his program, this is a long time ago, Superhuman, becoming a superhuman coach. And then I did his key on coaching program as he was writing the book Boundless. And we had calls every week. Uh, It was a very small group of us and it was super, super interesting. And he was already interested in this area of women's health. And we started talking about it as coaches. And then I started diving into the research more, diving into Elisa's work. I'd already come across Stacey's um, work because I was very interested from a fitness perspective. I'd always been into fitness. Was there a more intelligent way to do this? And so I just kind of, yeah, just spent more and more time with it and thinking about how can I develop this, but also looking at it at the same time through the lens of genetics, because I was interested in chronotypes as well. So I don't think we, we mustn't ignore the circadian rhythm. It's just that we want to embrace both rhythms together. So I was looking in depth at how can I be, I've got three kids, I'm busy, 
have a podcast of business and three children and two dogs. How can I maximize my time effectively? And that was really where it came from. So I was reading a ton on productivity as well at the time and creativity. And then I was just pulling all the threads together and realizing that actually there's more to it. And then diving into things like HRV, you know, and just interviewing different people. I think having a podcast, as you've probably found, gives you access to some really intelligent minds across the world and their work. And you can, in one hour, dive into their work and how they approach things. And it's just so fascinating. Uh, And then talking to people like Patrick McEwen, you know, in his recent book, he talks about breath work and how the menstrual cycle affects that. And then looking at HRV and, you know, now we're seeing some recent research coming out and and I think we'll learn more and more over time. I think the next few years are really exciting, but the way that estrogen and progesterone seem to affect the vagus nerve. And if, if, you know, for those people that are listening and wearing aura ring, I wear one, mine's just charging at the minute, you'll see that in those first two weeks of the month, Actually, your HRV looks a lot more robust and it's often higher. But then in the second phase of the month, in the luteal phase, the second half, should I say, what we see is actually a slight depression in HRV and an elevation in things like breathing rate, an elevation in resting pulse. And that's because while progesterone seems to be very calming on the the brain, it has a slightly different influence on the vagus nerve. And I think that when women start to understand this and understand that there are ebbs and flows and almost... If you start to expect less of yourself, you can achieve more because let's face it, right? If every, every woman could be, and there are, I should caveat this. There are some women who don't feel great at ovulation. And I think largely that's because we need to kind of fix some imbalances to get them back on track. But for the most part, as estrogen is rising, you should be seeing a benefit as you approach ovulation. Your skin should be glowing. You're more outward focusing. It's a great time for date night. You know, presentations are great there. You kind of, it's, you kind of in that full flow, right? And you're vibrant and you're healthy. And you'll know from studying the, the hormone aspect of skincare and how that works. But then recognizing that probably I'm not going to feel that peak at the end. We can get you so you feel high energy and really, really good every single day. But maybe you're not going to feel. But then I don't think guys feel exactly the same every single day. We all have differences. But I think if we can embrace that in our physiology and, and you know, change our workouts around that to support ourselves change our fasting protocols, change the way we approach nutrition, we're actually going to have better months because I see many women who they start off and they have like two good weeks a month. And that's, that's, that's tragic. That's hard. You know, think how much of your year, that's half your year. You are struggling in one form or another. Uh, And only throw teenagers into the mix like I've got and you're coping with their hormones. (laughs) And then you've got women's hormones. That could be a challenge, right? Yeah. You know, and so this is a, a very, very, very good point that you're talking about right there. How do you bridge the uh, the gap between creating habits, forming habits, and you know cooperating with your with your menstrual cycle? Because obviously the easiest example that I could give is is uh, fitness and kind of following your fitness goals. Because obviously it's extremely difficult for for most people to stay motivated and kind of stay within their fitness journey. But I would assume it's extremely more difficult if you really had to make decisions as far as what I need to do now, or should I work out or not, or really invest a lot of thinking into and a lot of willpower into every day within your fitness journey. It seems to me 
very discouraging and also much more difficult than something like I would do. It's just saying, okay, I'm just, I'm going to go to the gym every day and never mind what I'm going to make sure I show up there. Then, you know, whatever I do there, that's a different issue, but at least I'm cultivating that habit or whatever that is. How do you bridge the gap between menstrual cycle and habit forming? So that is a great question. I love that question because I think that's a very real thing for many women. And I would say that if you look at the work of Elisa, it is more regimented insofar as, uh, and the research that she's showing in terms of what you should do each week. And I think that can be difficult. I would, st- I always start with women and look at what's your goal, because what's the, the outcome that you want to get from your fitness? For some people like me, it is about longevity and and health but it's also about mental health and really really getting myself into state as tony robbins would say and so for that purpose i need to exercise pretty much every day so for me a day off is a real struggle and and so i can totally see where you're coming from i like to think of it in more fluid in nature so i think that if you're checking in with your data you're checking in with your aura ring or your whoop strap or whatever you're using and monitoring it then maybe you need more recovery But athletes themselves are training much more than we as individuals are. And I think we have that capability to train more, but they're also recovering a lot harder. And so what I would say to women is, yes, if you want to train and for you, it really works. And it's one of those things that you, like me, really rely on. Then you just shift what you're doing. So some of the things that I will do is, for example, sprint interval training. Absolutely brilliant, right? For metabolic benefits, for improving cardiovascular function, for for improving the afterburn effect that you have of creating a faster metabolism at rest and that's fantastic and you push hard but you're not actually pushing if you're doing it right you're not pushing hard for a very long period Mm -hmm. of time you're sprinting for maybe 10 seconds to 30 seconds and then recover for as long as you need now as you go through the menstrual cycle that recovery time may increase and maybe you can't push as hard But for me, I would look at it and go, well, okay, I'm going to, I feel actually great at menstruation. Now, for a lot of women listening, if they understand that at menstruation, you are most like a man. Mm -hmm. You are most like a man because your hormone levels have dropped the lowest. Some women, until they're optimized, don't feel great. And particularly if their ferritin levels are low, um, they've got heavy bleeding, they can feel quite depleted. But Paula Radcliffe, I think, famously broke an Olympic record or a world record on running a marathon in her menstrual, during her menstrual cycle. So some women feel actually fantastic. So what I would say is look at it and think, how do I feel? Check in with yourself, check in with your data because your data on your on your wearable is a great way of telling you, am I just feeling a little bit lazy or actually is my data showing that no, I need some rest? Or is it the other alternative that in a type A personality, am I ignoring the data and pushing the envelope beyond? Because when you understand that actually that could be quite catabolic in nature for you and undo many of the gains you're making, you'll approach that. Because if we understand why, we're more likely to approach it in in the intelligent way. But I would say it's a little bit more fluid. So if you feel really good, then at menstruation, you can be working out hard. Often it's a psychological problem that stops us more than it is a physical problem at that point of the month. And then as you go through that follicular stage building up to ovulation, we can be really increasing intensity. As we get around day 19, we want to be optimizing progesterone production. So would I then be, if I felt tired, 
really, really pushing hard on something very high intensity? No, I wouldn't. But then I would look at other things that I can do that I probably neglect. So like functional training, which is amazing for developing really good movement patterns. You know, isometric training can be really good. Holding poses, yoga, things like that. Flexibility, but also maybe mixing up. Like if you're into weight training and you're lifting very, very heavy weights, which are taxing on that neuromuscular system, but now you're in the late luteal phase, perhaps you're going to adjust that and you're going to go lighter ways, but you're going to go more kind of endurance style um, reps. Maybe you're going to do some cardio, but you're lengthening it so it's more kind of zone two and you do it 40, 45 minutes, but also refueling, right? Having protein and carbohydrates post-workout has been shown in women in particular to keep cortisol at bay and it's really about managing that because if we're not controlling for cortisol that's when progesterone can drop and becomes more of an issue but I like to say to her you know figure out what the goal is because ultimately we want to achieve your end goal and yes if we say well you can only weight train for one week a month you probably aren't going to make the body composition changes that you want to right or if you're trying to develop fitness so I think if we can see it more as a more fluid thing and just gently make those changes across the month, that feels to me more intuitive. But I think we're developing this all the time. We're going to be learning more and more about women that aren't that many studies. And working with women individually, because we are also bi-individual, is a really important part of that. That's uh, amazing. And I don't I don't think I've heard before the idea of really managing the rest period or the recovery period, you know, according to the cycle and maybe not the actual work, which is very, very, very interesting. Or the the work should be, you know, what guides us maybe as far as intensity, but the, the way that we rest is, the, is really the real driver of how we adjust according, obviously, to the menstrual cycle. Now, going on the idea of rest and recovery, is there a difference in the way that our recovery protocol should look as far as the the, uh, cycle goes, for example, if we're doing uh, modalities such as deliberate cold exposure, sauna, our sleep patterns as far as when we go to sleep and when we wake up and the light exposure that we're exposing ourselves to, what have you seen as far as managing that specifically for women? So obviously when you're doing cold exposure and you're doing complete submersion, there is that response of kind of almost a fear-based response, right? So you've got to use your breath. That's why you've got to condition the breath to go into it to actually sort of almost shut off that so that you can ease that transition and feel comfortable going into cold. But from the research that I've seen, cold exposure, and again, there isn't lots of research on studies on women, but cold exposure seems to trigger dopamine more than cortisol. So actually, I haven't seen, and there might be something out there, and listeners who've seen it can share this if, if, if I'm missing this, but I haven't seen a reason necessary to say, no, we shouldn't be exposing ourselves to cold at different times of the menstrual cycle. I think like anything, we want to build up intuitively and we need to look at the stress bucket overall. So if you're constantly adding in stresses, I think for women, in all honesty, the biggest stress that I see is psychological mm-hmm. stress. 
I think, you know, we don't need guys to to say any kind of critical comments because most of us have done six rounds in the boxing ring with ourselves by midday, mm -hmm. you know. So I actually think that we're quite critical of ourselves and our expectations and things. So I actually think working on that side, because we can't discount psychological stress. It's very important. And, and to feel more relaxed and to give yourself permission to do the things, you know, particularly in that luteal phase that enhance recovery, like magnesium baths, like using essential oils oils, like going for massage, really kind of giving yourself a big hug and embracing that is a positive thing. And, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. So if it feels selfish, it isn't because actually everybody around you is going to benefit from it. I do think with fasting, this seems like a big stress on the female body. And I kind of have three sort of things that I feel as women we need to embrace and that would be and I think this is what the female physiology and this is what I talk a lot about in my presentations responds really well to is definitely aligning with our cycle but also embracing abundance and self-love and I think that when we approach it differently and think how can I approach this from a place of abundance what how many micronutrients can I get into my body how can I really nourish my body with the right whole foods with the right exercise, with the right recovery, and importantly, with the right thoughts, with positive thoughts, right? You almost need to be that guardian at the gate. And how can I approach this from a place of self-love rather than a place of lack, which is where a lot of the more male-style biohacking is coming in, right? Yeah. Let's do three-day water-only mm -hmm. fast. Let's set pride. Whereas actually, we're different. We can grow you know, small humans inside of us, we want to embrace that in the right way. And that's not to say we've got to go and eat a whole load of junk food and put on loads of pounds. That's not what I'm saying. It's nutrient dense foods. It's positive thoughts and things like that, that really fill us up and allow us because that's embracing the divine feminine. And then you can share that love as a mother, as a friend, as a partner and, and in the world and make that difference. And uh, amazing. And obviously, yeah, I, I almost call it psychological nutrition and physical nutrition and the way they go yeah. hand in hand. Uh, and you did uh, mention Joe Dispenza. If anyone hasn't heard about Joe Dispenza, it's extremely easy to learn more about him. What are some of the modalities that you use in order to cultivate your psychological nutrition? So I have a few uh, routines. So I think I'm a big believer. Everyone talks about a morning routine and I do have one, but I don't think you can have a morning routine without an evening routine. So I, I'm, I'm a big believer that the most important hour of your day is actually the hour before you go to bed because there is some research that indicates that you're going to wake up in the frame of mind that you went to bed in. The last thoughts is going to influence how you approach the next day. It's going to prepare you for a really good night's sleep, which I think is fundamental. And that is part of that recovery. So the last hour of the day is the most important for me. And it's, it's funny because when you have kids, you kind of have to play around with this. And, and a lot of women I speak to, they struggle because they're like, oh, I've put the kids to bed, but then I come back downstairs and now I've got so many jobs to do, right? I'm trying to finish clearing up the kitchen. There's laundry. They need it. They've got a sports match tomorrow. And ideally, the more you can get done earlier and actually, you know, go and cleanse your face, take off your makeup if you're wearing it, let your skin breathe earlier in the, in the evening. 
put on those blue light blocking glasses so that when you're winding down with your child, because it's a really loving time, it's lovely, and it's the time that you're gonna be releasing loads of oxytocin and it's gonna get you into a very mellow mood. That can be so lovely. You know, one of the things I love doing is reading with my daughter and we do the exercise I'm about to share with you, I do it with her. So each night I journal on gratitude and I journal on my wins for my day and my daughter does the same. So we sit there in bed bed and she tells me about her three wins and the three things she's grateful for. And then we ask the question, how can I make tomorrow great? And so, and that's the routine that I do in my own journal before I go to bed so that we can celebrate things. And rather than getting into this cycle of negativity, which to be honest, when I was depressed, I was in a, in the depths of it, is how can we turn that into the positive? So, you know, if something happened today that didn't go as I wanted it to, in every bad thing, there is a seed, right? Whether that's a seed of learning or new development. So what can I, what can I change about this situation? And why did it happen, right? Did I just start running a program like Joe Dispenza talks about? Was I just in alignment with my past paradigms instead of my future self? Because I think we forget that every single day we are creating our future self. That is it. That's what we're becoming. And we're either going to pay for mistakes we're making or we're going to reap the rewards of the decisions that we made. And so how can we be most in alignment with ourselves and create this future self? So at the end of our lives, we look back and go, that was amazing. That was such a ride. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And the the, the uh, example that I give many times, I give it mainly about the physical realm, but obviously the mental realm kind of oversees our physical form. I always give the, the idea that in seven years, every cell in our body would have basically renewed itself. It's a different cell. So in seven years, we're completely a different person. And whatever we feed ourselves today, whatever direction we direct them to evolve towards, this is literally the person we're going to be tomorrow, quite physically, but also mentally. Obviously, we are uh, greasing the grooves of, of thoughts that are going to be our programs, our mental ticks and habits tomorrow and obviously next year, etc. So it is extremely important to cultivate your your mental garden right to make sure that the right plants are growing there definitely i couldn't agree more there's yeah. a, there's a great book i love the work of dr benjamin hardy and there's a great book called the gap in the game uh-huh. and uh, he wrote it with dan sullivan and it's like have you fallen into the gap or are you in the game right and you can always look because somebody else's position now might be where you are in five years time but you can easily look and go oh my god why aren't they there yet why haven't i made that progress Whereas actually now you've fallen into the gap because if you look back and think how far have I come, how far have I come in the last six months or three months, anytime you make a change, right, you're creating that new self and try to be in the game, not in the gap. Because you know what, life is more fun and it's a lot more joyful when you're in the game. Yeah, 100%. So you're doing journaling, you're, you're kind of making sure you're being in gratitude, especially when you're priming yourself for the eight hours where you're kind of your mind takes takes over and and you don't have anything to say about it what other habits do you do you do during the day because i'm a great i'm a, i'm a big believer in having something continuous right it's not like um press a button do 15 minutes 30 minutes of uh positive activity and then we're just being in that state constantly so do you have like certain segments during the day where where you're kind of putting yourself back in that position me for example i love brain tap this is an unsolicited uh, recommendation. I just have mine. I'm about to actually start using it. I haven't used it yet. I'm looking at it. It's there in a bag. I have it. So the 21-day 
I don't know how they call it, but the 21 days program that you run in the beginning where you do it three times a day to me is magical. And I try and do it three times a day every day, not because my brain needs it, but because I need it as a human being. I believe that if I have a habit of breaking a pattern, whatever pattern that may be, it can be good or bad, by the way, by you know injecting myself with better better forms of thought would benefit me in the long run. And, and obviously, as a high-performing executive for, for the last 15 years, I know that maybe like performance or the uh, state that you're in is a double-edged sword. If you're in a bad state, you're obviously not going to perform as well. But even if you're in a good state, if things are going well for you, at least for me, I'm far from being a perfect human being. If something's going well for me for a short amount of time, I'm going to lay off my creativity, right? I'm not going, I'm going to be satisfied at some point. And if I can have those stop gaps and kind of look at how my day is going, my life is going and redirect my focus and make sure I'm, I'm mindful of what I'm doing, that is going to serve me very well the rest of the day, the rest of my life. So do you have any, um, set stop gaps times where you're where you're kind of resetting yourself bringing yourself back into a more mindful state yeah and i love that because i'm about to try doing brain tap so you've got me very excited now mm-hmm. i so i do so in the morning when i first wake up is the time that i meditate and the reason for that is as you know we are in a more kind of alpha brainwave state brainwaves are slower and so i actually quite often will meditate while i'm still in bed now i know for some people this is not great because they feel like they're going to fall back asleep I don't find that. I find that I get the most amazing creative insights come to me during those meditations. So I meditate then and then I pick up my journal and because I journal twice a day and, and sometimes I'll scribble. My journal's with me a lot of the time, to be honest. So I will scribble thoughts in as they come to me, if not in the notes section of my phone. I work out in the morning generally because I find that it really sets the frame for the day. I realize that from a kind of physiological perspective, maybe our performance is better in the afternoon, but for me, it's not going to happen. So, and I'm doing school runs generally. So it's it's in the morning that I need to do it early. And that primes my state. And everything that I'm doing, my whole thing is, how can I be present to what I'm doing? So if I am running, for example, I'll put on really good music, And I'll try and just be present with myself and my thoughts. It's almost like a form of meditation. And again, I get really creative insights. If I'm weight training, I'm really, really focusing 100% on the muscle that I'm training and the tempo and my form and, and really taking my thoughts there because I like to be really as present as I possibly can be. Uh, in my coaching sessions with my clients and my the programs I run. And then what I find is that we, we I think a lot of time we don't factor in enough of this recovery and renewal. So then I take breaks during the day and I will quite often do a meditation in the afternoon to set the frame. Sometimes if I've got a really busy day, it may be as simple as taking a few breaths, but just, you know, closing my eyes for two, three minutes and just really reconnecting with myself. I, look, I spend a lot of time in nature because I find that appreciating that is an amazing thing and just being outside in nature. I also have two dogs and they are a great way of bringing you back and centering you. So sometimes just giving my Labrador a big hug, which he hates and does a big shake, get off me. <laughs> uh, get your human smell off me. And I'm like, no, I think you uh-huh. stink, not me. You're the one that smells. <laughs> so he brings me back. That's really nice. 
And then as a family at dinner time, we connect and we go around the table and we talk to the kids about what happened in their day. And, you know, they talk about anything they found hard, what happened at school, but also what we do is ask them what they're grateful for and what happened today that was really positive and really good. So we have kind of various different times that we, that I check in during the day. I also like to move a lot. So if I'm sitting now, like for, for an interview, then I will get up and do something straight afterwards because I find it gets the blood flow. It helps me stay more active. It's better. And that's one thing, actually, you know, as someone who has PCOS, and I think a lot of women maybe don't realize this because it is related to insulin resistance and metabolic dysfunction. It's something you've got to really own and take charge of for a lifetime because it continues after menopause. It doesn't stop when your menstrual cycle stops. So you're still going to have many of those metabolic issues and they need addressing so controlling my blood sugar and uh and optimizing that is one thing that i really try to do as well through a combination of you know resistance training overall movement and good diet and if i don't i tell you it's my skin is way better since i started using young goose but if i'm not controlling my blood sugar it will show up in my face i'll get breakouts and stuff so yeah yeah, i mean the gut skin axis is again a, a very underexplored uh, access, especially in adults, obviously in, in teenagers, because just it's, it's uh, such a burning topic and such a big piece of what dermatology for teenagers is. It's it's more explored, but obviously uh, later on, we're kind of falling by the wayside, right? We we're trying to fix whatever problems in front of us and not trying to do it in a more functional, holistic way. And obviously, that is what we are trying to do in, in young goose, kind of trying. And that's you know, this podcast is kind of what it's about, right? We're trying to educate a person. We're telling you, oh, you want better looking skin or you want to biohack your beauty. It's not going to happen just by putting a nice product on your face. It really needs to come from the inside. It really need you really need to eat the correct foods in order that for your cells to have the correct building blocks to build their cells. You know, our cells are built by the food that we eat, not by the way that we envision our skin to be. It's, it's all physical. It, well, no, not all physical, but it's pretty much physical in that realm. So I completely agree with you. I wanted to take a quick break for this episode to chat with you about our Young Goose skincare product and our special offer for our podcast listeners. Our products are the world's first biohacking skincare products. And what they aim to do is to reboot uh, your skin cells to a youthful state so they can correct the cellular damage that is accumulated over time. Our favorite products and the one that we recommend everyone to start with are is our care concentrated moisturizer that can be used as both a day and a and the night cream. What this product is really specially delivering to the skin is our NAD precursors that are nano-sized and lipolized. They are both NR and NMN. And what they aim to do is to fuel the repair processes that our skin engages in by activating also our sirtuins, which are our anti-aging genes or our longevity genes that are responsible for DNA repair and basically repairing who we are really as human beings. In order to do that in the most effective way, 
we combine it with our enhanced resveratrol, which is fermented resveratrol that allows resveratrol to be 50 times more bioavailable in the skin and actually non-toxic because most people don't know that resveratrol is actually toxic for the skin since the skin doesn't have the enzyme to break it down like our gut does. So by fermenting the the resveratrol and introducing the enzymes in the fermentation process, we can obviously make it non-toxic and 50 times more bioavailable. And Care Concentrated Moisturizer also has 10 more active ingredients that support those processes, such as CoQ10, PQQ, two forms of vitamin C, and even turmeric and B vitamins. This is the first product we recommend. The second is eye care, which is a version of care specifically for the eyes. It also contains our NAD precursors and also contains very, very advanced peptides, our proprietary complex that includes GHKCU, a copper peptide that is very famous for its anti-aging abilities. The third product we recommend is our ProCare Serum. And that is a very special serum because it interacts with the mTOR pathway, which is a pathway that is very famous for its ability to affect how we age. So this product does a few things, but really what it does, it eliminates senescent cells, which are cells that harm our skin because our skin couldn't clear them very well. So it eliminates those, regenerates the skin. It stimulates the mitochondria with lilac uh, cell culture extract. And it also has a very strong and effective form of vitamin C that is well known to help the skin regenerate itself. Combining these three products by first applying ProCare, then eye care, and then care will give you the best results you've ever experienced for your skin and that we guarantee. If you would like to try these products, you can head over to younggoose.com to our website. And when checking out, please use the promo code PODCAST20 in all capital letters in order to get 20% off your first purchase. Again, head over to younggoose.com and use promo code PODCAST20 in all capitals for 20% off your first purchase. And now let's get back to the podcast. As far as teenagers and having teenagers, being a biohacker, you know, we don't have kids yet. We're, We're now starting to think about that. How do you bridge the gap between being a mother that needs to and being a parent that needs to really educate and kind of provide a uh, an emotional blanket for your kids, but also trying to educate them towards uh, healthy living? Is it something that's difficult to do? Is it something that can be, you know, overly dominating? How do you, how do you see it? You know, the, the paradigm, the paradigm of like, oh, don't deprive your kids from, from chocolate or whatever, because they're going to go outside and just eat all the chocolate. So, And I think, I, de- I definitely think there's some truth to that. I think, you know, from what I've observed of over the years, and my eldest now is 15, is looking at kids that were heavily restricted and what they do even as a toddler at a party is they will try and indulge in too much junk because I think there's been too much restriction. And we know that anyway, in babies and toddlers, you know, they're conditioned to seek out sweet because in nature, most times sweet is safe. And I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, so what I found actually is that the more that you, so when I, when I was, um, when mine were tiny, I cooked absolutely, we still cook from fresh, but I never used any kind of baby foods or anything. And by cooking everything from fresh, you condition their taste. So it makes it a lot easier because if they've been conditioned to like broccoli, they're probably going to like broccoli, right? Now we still have things, you know, like my middle one, 
He's like, I don't like cauliflower. And that's fair enough. I'm not going to force a child to eat vegetables that they really don't like, but I am going to make sure that they do eat a lot of vegetables because they're so important and the fiber and their microbiome Mm -hmm. and everything else and the vitamins and minerals. Um, Similarly, you know, I was keen to ensure that we, you know, for us, it wasn't about embracing something like a vegan or vegetarian diet, because I think that the essential fatty acids, the choline, all the different nutrients that you get, the creatine, everything you get from a more a plant-based diet that has animal protein was ideal. What we did from a young age was that they would not be allowed to have any form of treat if they hadn't eaten and, and you know, uh, sufficient vegetables and some fruit, and they would have to eat that first. And then we have just kind of worked with them to inform them about what is, and I don't think sugar per se necessarily is so bad in a child that's running around. I don't think sugar is necessarily the issue. I I get concerned about the artificial sweetness that are being used to replace Mm -hmm. those sugars, I think. And we don't know yet what impact that's having really truly on the gut microbiome, but they're chemicals essentially. And I don't think we were, you know, we haven't, how many chemicals are we putting in our bodies now that we didn't even have a hundred years ago? It's it's alarming. So we tell them about things like that, you know, and it's, it's, it's a great question. I think it's a difficult balance. What we found is that children don't do what you say, but they do model your behavior. And so mm-hmm. the better you model, the more that they are encouraged to do that and make those choices. And I found that by actually showing moderation as opposed to extreme restriction, they naturally themselves practice moderation. That's what we found. That's very interesting. And you are more, you know, for you specifically, for your for your family, you're more drawn to like a whole balanced diet rather than a more popular diet nowadays, such as like keto whatever that is yeah we are and i think because what what concerns me is that it's how can you you can't really go easily on a ketogenic diet without cutting Mm -hmm. out fiber and i think that Mm -hmm. fiber is so important so so important and it feeds our microbiome it helps us you know the health of our microbiome helps us make short chain fatty acids which are some of the most anti-inflammatory compounds we can have in our bodies and also I think we don't really yet understand gut health and the importance of it. But I think that if we look at what nature has given us in uh, in a complete way, she's pretty much got it right. And if you look at the principles she has, she doesn't really mix fat and sugar. And I think that's where the problem comes in these hyper palatable foods. Yes, occasionally you'll find fat and sugar together, but for the most part in nature, you haven't. And to get sugar, you've always had to work quite hard to get it, whether you're digging potatoes out of the ground or you're getting really stung by a beehive to get the honey, you've had to work quite hard. So I kind of think like particularly in young in young children and athletic children like mine are, they are exercising so much that if they're having sufficient carbohydrates, that's actually just going to fuel their body. And that's what we've found. And they're all super lean and athletic. So we've not seen weight issues in any of our kids through having carbohydrates, but we're careful to go for whole food sources. Um, But it's the fiber that concerns me. And from a women's perspective as well, I think that, you know, there's a unique part of the microbiome called the estrobolum, which regulates estrogen. Mm -hmm. So no matter how much you've tried to optimize the health of your liver, and you may have this excess estrogen packaged up really nicely because your phase one and phase two detoxification in the liver is working well, but then it gets to the gut for excretion and your microbiome can literally open up that envelope and the excess estrogen comes back into the system. So actually, we really want to optimize for that. And I think that eating probiotic-rich foods, fibrous uh, vegetables, which actually are not high, particularly in starches and things, 
Also, when you look at like, for example, with fruit, the fructose content is very, very different than if you look at, and it's wrapped up with fiber. It's very different than if you look at the fructose in something like high fructose corn syrup, or even mm -hmm. cakes and cookies and biscuits, because they contain sucrose, which is 50%. Uh, effectively it's glucose and fructose so i think it's very different and i think sometimes people get worried about things that they're going to cause metabolic dysfunction but actually there's growing evidence that isn't really showing that and i personally believe uh from from what i'm seeing that diversity is key and the, the more diverse diet we can eat from whole foods from nature and the highest quality the better our health and the better actually as you say the building blocks are for things like our skin as well yeah for sure yeah Amazing. So let's say just to maybe kind of wrap everything around or put everything in an envelope and trying to try to make sense of, uh, you know, functional way to approach our lives. If we're just starting, really, if you had a friend, you know, coming to you saying, you know what, I've seen the light. Uh, I need to make changes in my life. I'm feeling burnt out. I'm, I'm my my skin doesn't look the best and my, my I have acid reflux whatever that is something changed my my paradigm and now I want to start a healthy journey you, you sit her down and what do you start with like what is what does that conversation look like how do you direct her to start so I have kind of have um, a methodology that I use this makes it really easy to remember called shift how do we shift into optimal health, right? And so the S is sleep. And the reason for that is it's foundational because it's going to yeah. make your skin look better. You, you've produced human growth hormone at night when you're in slow wave, deep sleep. And pretty much when you're in your 40s, that's most of the time that you are producing it. Uh, whereas obviously as teenagers, we're producing a lot more. Um, and so the foundation for me is sleep. If we can get that optimized, you're going to feel better, but also it makes everything easier because there's so many different hormones that are controlled by uh, or, or not controlled by poor quality sleep. And so we know that if you have, for example, less than five hours of sleep, it can make you as insulin resistant as a type two diabetic. So now the next day, it's going to be much harder to control your blood sugar, much harder to control cravings. We see dysregulation in ghrelin, which is a hunger hormone and leptin, a satiety hormone when you're underslept. So for me, it starts with looking at sleep and then the H actually, interestingly, and these are not necessarily in a particular order, it's really just a framework for people to adopt, is to look at your hormones and actually see, are you balancing them? Like if you're having cravings all day and you're looking for food, yes, there's a psychological component, but there's also a physiological component. Uh, and that comes down to things like insulin, ghrelin, leptin, and other ones, adenopectin, you know, other hormones, but also sex hormones. And that comes back to what we were talking about in terms of optimizing around the menstrual cycle and building insufficient recovery, like looking at your day and thinking, are you building in recovery? Are you highly stressed? What are you thinking? You know, because if you've got a constant, relentless output of cortisol, you're not going to feel great. So that's the kind of age for people to think about. And they can pick off any one of these because when they're listening, they might be thinking, actually, do you know what? I'm a great, great sleeper. So I know I've got that one nailed, but one of these others resonates. And I would just start with one of these because if you start with one thing and build from there, it's going to be so much easier. The next one is I, which is just insights, gathering as many insights as you can. And that can be simply from journaling and seeing how you feel to using different devices like Aura, Whoop, doing any kind of lab work that you can do. There's very simple lab work that you can do as a consumer yourself as well. And then the F is about how do we fuel your body, right, for, for energy, high energy and performance. And I break that again into the acronym FLOW because we don't just fuel our bodies through food. We, it is food, light, 
oxygen and water. Oxygen is really there from, from breathing. And you can see, you know, like I have the mm -hmm. red light behind me. Yes, we can use biohacking tools, but why don't we just go outside first, right, and get in the sunshine? I tend to use those for specific reasons like collagen enhancement, you know, mitochondria, but we can also get a lot from being outside. Um, and so that's really mm -hmm. the, the F. And then the T is training your body and mind. What are you doing on a daily basis? What does your movement look like? Because not just, as you say, in a, a scheduled exercise session, it's what you do all day that makes a difference. Are you moving regularly? Are you going out for walks, getting fresh air? And how are you training your mind? Are you are you conditioning your mind to positive thinking as much as you can? I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying positive thinking is right, but you condition your mind to accepting and giving yourself influence over yourself, right? We can't master anything if we mm -hmm. haven't influenced ourselves. And so it's like training your mind with things like meditation, with breath work, just bringing in those practices. So generally, I would look at that shift framework and talk to them about where we think we need to start and where we're going to get the biggest wins first. Uh, and generally, they will share, you know, where they're really struggling and we'll pick one of those first and then nail that and then just build out from there. That's beautiful and so practical. It's it's probably the best way I've heard it put. So in case someone wants to take that journey with you, kind of try, wants to connect to your reservoir of, of knowledge, how does that look like? How do they do that? You know what? Again, how do they start? Um, so there's multiple ways to connect with me. As you know, I like I put content daily out on Instagram, which is Angela S. Foster. I share a lot on there, uh, a lot of free content. I have a free Facebook group called Female Biohacker that they can go and find. I also have a membership I launched a month or so ago, which is a really lovely community of women called the Female Biohacker Collective. And so that they can find actually details on my website, which is AngelaFosterPerformance.com. And then if they want to just take like get an overview themselves on where they are on shift, then we will send them a free personalized report when they complete a questionnaire. And so for anyone listening and thinking, I just want to kind of understand where am I on the shift protocol? What kind of numbers am I hitting on each area and get percentage results? We'll give you a free report. You just need to go to yourtotalhealthcheck.com and you can, you can do it then. And we're for sure going to have all those links in the uh, description of the, uh, of the episode. Angela, I can't say enough how, how amazing this podcast was. I think... Yeah. People should kind of save it and, and come back to it and kind of take more and more insights from it because I think we covered many of the bases that, that are very important for women, for anyone nowadays dealing with a high stressful life and job and how, you know, what should they prioritize as far as, um, you know, longevity, both physical and mental, which I think normally uh, have to go hand in hand. I highly appreciate the time that you, that you gave us and, and shared with us. And is there anything else that uh, we, we didn't cover as far as how people can look at your work or how they can follow you? Is there anything else that we didn't cover? Well, first of all, to say just a massive thank you for having me on the show. I'm really grateful to be here today and, and, and to speak to your audience. So I'm very grateful for that. But secondly, I think the other place is my, my own podcast, High Performance Health, if they want to connect over there. But I think what I would leave them with is, you know, look at my history. I'm by no means perfect, right? I've been through so many different things and hurdles that I've had to overcome. So wherever you are in your journey right now, just recognize that life can get better from here. And if you just take one small step, if you listen and you take one thing away and you put that into practice, and then you just build from there, your life can change immeasurably and, and you have everything you need to do this. So inside of you and from resources and wonderful podcasts like yours, 
Um, so yeah, really just recognize that. And if you can do what I said and come from that place of self-love, from abundance and embrace your femininity, then uh, then I wish you all the best. And, and thank you so much for having me on. Thank you very much. It was absolutely my pleasure. And I am looking forward to a, a, an amazing um, communication between us in the future. All right, take care. Thank you.